Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. And this morning we're reading in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. Verse 41. Everybody with me? Then they gladly received the word and were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul that many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and they had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily in one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come before you this morning in the precious name of your son, Jesus. I pray that your anointing may flow through my lips and also that you will anoint the minds and the hearts of each person that is receiving your word. Lord, fill this place with the atmosphere of your Holy Spirit. Touch the hearts of your people, I pray. Let their hearts be encouraged. And let the word find lodging within every heart. For we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, this morning we, first of all, I like to have your undivided attention. And let's try to minimize any moving around. So that no one be distracted from hearing the word of God. And also let me get my watch and put it out here. So, amen. You know, you get excited when you're up here sometimes, you know. This morning we're going to be dealing with the first fellowship. Now we've been already studying the book of Acts for a number of weeks. And we covered all of chapter 1. And also most of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And now we're at the, uh, the last part of chapter 2. And this morning we're looking to finish chapter 2. And then next week go into chapter 3 of the book of Acts. Now the last time that we were together, we dealt with our outline on the book of Acts. It was uh, the sermon of Peter. And Peter's sermon, he was explaining Pentecost. We all know the story how the Pentecostal experience, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter went out and he started preaching his first sermon. And the last time we were together, we analyzed Peter's sermon. We studied Peter's sermon. And we studied his introduction. We studied also the body or what he said in his sermon. And then also his conclusion and how he made his appeal. And Peter told it just 
like it is. He had all those people, a lot of people that he was ministering to, and it says he stood up with the eleven. They all stood with him. And Peter, under the boldness and the unction of the Holy Spirit, he, proclaimed, he began to proclaim the word of God. And he started proclaiming about from the Old Testament, and he presented Jesus, and he said, Jesus is the Son of God, in which by wicked hands you have killed. So he called them murderers, and he, he called them blasphemers, and he, he just gave them the word of God without any compromise. And at the end of it, the Holy Spirit began to move upon them, and there was tremendous results. That the Bible tells us that there were 3,000 people that gave their hearts to Christ. So here, after the 3,000 conversions, we find the very beginning of the first fellowship. The first fellowship of believers after the day of Pentecost. And as we look at the, the, these passages, we will find some key characteristics of the church. There are some key characteristics that, we, that is very evident here in the book of Acts concerning the early church. We see this beautiful and newborn church in its prime. It is beautifully full of vitality and, and is a glorious church. And the church that was born in Jerusalem, on its very first day, there were 3,000 people that were added to the church. So there was 120. Let's add this up. There was 120 in the upper room, right? And then after Peter's message, there were 3,000 people that got saved. So how many people is the church made out of? Made up of 3,000? 120 people on the very first day. Now that's not bad, is it? I mean, that's some Holy Ghost preaching. 3,000 people came, gave their lives to Christ. So there was 3,120 people that made up the very first fellowship in the book of Acts. Now you could also tell that they kept track and they kept roll and record of the people that committed themselves to Christ and people who they were responsible for. So you could tell that the early church, even from its beginning, was a responsible church. Sometimes we say, well, numbers are not important. Oh, yes, in the book of Acts, numbers were important as far as how many people got saved and how many people responded. And they knew exactly how many people responded to Peter's message. And they needed to know so that they could be responsible and take care of those people. So here is the very first local assembly of believers ever brought together in the city of Jerusalem. Isn't it exciting? The very birth, the very beginning of the early church. Now when we think about it, I'm sure that it comes into your mind, like in my mind, one of the first things that I, when I think about the birth of the church, the question mark that hits me and hits many people is, what was this church like? And how can we be like that church? How was this church? What were the characteristics of this church? Well, the church and the early church, the book of Acts, had a certain vitality that many churches try to emulate 
and has, they have tried to emulate throughout, throughout history. Before we know whether we could be like the church, we need to know what the church was, what kind of church it was in the book of Acts. And this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. In these passages of scripture, it, they describe, here Luke describes what the church was, the kind of church that the early church was, the characteristics of this early church. And now as you look at the outline that you have, and I want you to look at the outline right now, as you look at this outline that has been given to you, you will see that this church was powerful for three reasons. And there's three reasons that we're bringing out this morning why this church was powerful, why this church was so effective. Reason number one, first of all, it had the right content. Reason number two, it had the right character. Reason number three, it had the right consequences, or because of the right character, it also produced the right results. And we're going to be taking a look at these three, three qualities that this church had. And it, the, the whole outline is progressive. It's a progressive outline because, first of all, there's the content. If you have the right content, then you will also have the right character. You hear? You must have the right content to have the right character. And then if you have the right character, then automatically you're going to produce the right results. And so many times we want to produce results. We want to be effective. But we fail to take into, into consideration the qualities that are needed in a church and in an individual like you and I so that we could be effective Christians. And there may be some of you here this morning that may be struggling. You say, man, I'm struggling with my Christian experience. I want to serve God, but I'm having a battle. And I think we need to closely take a look at this church and look at the qualities that these people had that actually made them effective. First of all, Let's take a look at the right content. And we find this, and I want you to keep your Bibles open, because we find this here in the book of, in the book of Acts, in verse 41. Now there are four things that we find as far as the content of this church. And you have a space there, if you want to put them down, jot them down. There are four points that I'm going to bring up concerning the content of this church. If you want to write it down in your outline, you're welcome to do so. If you just want to listen to me, then, then listen to me. All right? Okay. First of all, this church, the very first thing that we find that it had, it was a saved people, a saved church. And you may say, well, Brother Sonny, I mean, that's, I mean, anybody knows that. Well, not necessarily so. Not everybody that comes to church is saved. In fact, there's a whole lot of churches with a whole lot of unsaved people and unsaved preachers. You know that there are churches that have actual preachers that don't even believe in God? The liberal churches that don't even believe in God? Don't even believe in the Word of God? All they do is tell stories on Sunday. There's no dynamo, there's no power, there's no enthusiasm, there's no real conviction because they don't have an experience with Christ. And in many of those churches you also find 
leaders, Christian leaders that are teaching classes and involved in the ministry that don't have no experience at all with God. They've never been born again and are not even saved people. But we find that in the early church, I mean, these people, all these people, the 3,000, say with me, 3,100 and what? And 20 were saved people. They were saved. They were redeemed. They were people that had experienced Christ. Listen to what it says in 41, verse 41. It says, Then they gladly, now after Peter preached and all, they gladly received his word. Now receiving his word means that they not only received it here, listen to me, here in your mind, but they received it here, their hearts. And, not only, and then as they received it in their hearts, see when a person receives the word mentally and then also sinks down into their heart, then there's a reaction. Whenever the word is given to you, it's up to you how you're going to deal with the word. Either you step out on the word, or you act on the word of God, or you don't act on the word of God. But they acted on the word of God, not only received the word of God, but it tells us over here that they were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls that were added unto the church. Now these were people that not only received the word, but they also got baptized. They were saved. And let me tell you that it wasn't easy for them to identify themselves with the church and identify themselves with Christ. Now it's easy. You could, you get saved and you could identify yourself with Jesus and Christianity is popular. But you know that in those days it wasn't popular at all. And they weren't secret, undercover Christians. They accepted, they made a decision... And then they said, our decision is firm, and it's so firm that we are ready to follow the Lord in water baptism. And they follow the Lord in water baptism at the very uh, cost of, of losing their families and, and, and going through persecution and being classified as uh, outcasts because they were identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. So these... 3,000 people that accepted the Lord were people that did not come. It wasn't a wishy-washy, nominal type of Christianity and Christian experience. But when they got saved, they went all the way for Jesus. You see? And I wonder how many people get saved and go all the way for Jesus. There's some people get saved, man, and they're wishy-washy Christians. Yeah, the devil's after me, you know. Trying to make it. There's 3,000. You know, I'm trying to make it, you know. I'm hoping I'm holding on, you know. That wasn't the experience they had. Man, when they heard Peter, they got up and they said, we're making a decision for Jesus. And I don't care what the Jews think about us, but we're going to go anyhow. They could kill me for all I care, but I'm identifying myself to Jesus. It was a powerful, powerful conversion that took place. So the early church with the first 3,120 people, it wasn't just a quantity, but it was a quality, quality people. 3,120 
of quality people that were ready to turn the world upside down and right side up. So first of all, we find it was a saved church. It was a people that had a genuine, powerful experience with Christ. Okay, secondly, not only we find it was a saved church, they had salvation, but also, it was also a studying church. Studying church. Listen to what it says in verse 42. And they continue steadfastly in what? Read it with me in what? Say it louder than that. And they continued steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine. Now what is the word doctrine? The word doctrine, what it actually means is teaching. They continue. These people got saved. And as soon as they accepted Jesus as their personal Savior, the very next step is they got into the Word of God. Now, if you don't have an appetite for God's Word and you come and you want to you grow in God, you're not going to grow. Because you know how you operate? When you don't get into God's Word, you're operating out of emotions. Emotionalism. If you feel good, you love Jesus. I love him, I love him, I love him, and all of a sudden the next day you feel terrible, and, oh, I don't want to serve God no more, you know? Going by feelings, going by your emotions. These people, no, these people, they made a decision for Christ, and after they made the decision for Christ, they said, man, we're going to get some persecution, this is going to get heavy, so we better get in the Word. We better find out what all this is about. So they got into the Word of God. It was a studying church. They were a studying people. They studied the Word of God. They studied the Apostles' Doctrine. So you can see that they had the right content. And the right content, you know, sometimes a church, a church is not to be an entertainment center. And you notice that this is what we made the church. Whenever there is something special, a special attraction, everybody comes and it's packed out, right? If you have somebody that's well known, everybody comes because they want to be entertained. Okay? And it's not God never intended for the church to be an entertain, en entertainment center. In fact, the world could do that better than us anyhow. What God intended was the church to be not an entertainment center but a learning center it's to be a learning center when you come on Sunday that you bring your Bible and you want to hear from God and you want to seriously study the Word of God so that it will produce growth within your life you see the Word of God you could apply it to whatever situation in your life just the other day, I was feeling, you know, again, feeling, feeling, see? I was feeling down. Feeling down. In fact, I woke up feeling down. <laughs> woke up depressed. <laughs> you ever woke, wake up depressed? And I woke up and, man, depression hit me. And I said, oh, no, I, mean, I, I got to go to prayer. I got to go to prayer. And I went downstairs quietly. Everybody was still asleep. And I got the word. 
and I started opening up the Word of God, got into the Word of God and started opening. And all of a sudden I went into Isaiah and I seen a chapter in Isaiah and I started reading that chapter and all of a sudden it was like God speaking to me. And, and without realizing it, my wife came walking down and she came by. And I said, Julie, Julie, come here, come, come here, come here. I'm going to show you what God is telling me, what God is speaking to me about. And then she came over and she looked and I said, I start reading to her. Look, Julie, look. And she's just listening. And while I'm reading it, my tears are coming down my face and I'm crying and I'm weeping. And I'm saying, this is for me. God is speaking to me. Now, I know that scripture's been there for a long time, but nevertheless, at that particular moment, when I needed to hear a word from God, God was speaking to me and lifting me up by his divine word. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. It's the word of God. It's the word of God that keeps us. It says in... 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Listen to what it says. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is what Paul was telling Timothy. Study. 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 The early church was a studying church. Study. Study the word of God. It says, so that you could be approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We could be approved unto God as good Christians as we study the divine word of God. Also, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and this is in essence what Paul is actually saying to Timothy, and he says, The things thou hast heard of among many witnesses, the same commit them to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. So what Paul is saying, what I've given you, and I've imparted in you, and I've deposited in you, then you take that and impart it in somebody else, that somebody else imparts it in somebody else, that somebody else imparts it in somebody else, and there's teaching and learning that's going on. So the Word of God is what's able to bring results within our lives. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. So growth comes by the word. Growth comes by teaching. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 says, Put on the new man in, a re in renewed in knowledge. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Hosea says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. And that's just a portion of it. I could go on and give you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that tells us, that we must get into the Word of God and learn the divine Word of God. Uh, there may be some that you're struggling, you're going through a lot of struggle because you're lazy. You're just plain lazy. You haven't gotten into the book. You want... You just want people to, to feed you. You know, you got, it comes to time, you know, a baby, you feed a baby, but after a while, the baby has to start feeding himself. And God wants you to learn. God wants many, many of his children to learn to be, able, to be able to feed themselves with the word of God. You see, you can't function on principles that you don't know about. How could you func function 
effectively if you don't know what it's all about? How could you function and use and function in the principles that work, that are within the Word of God, if you don't know what the principles are all, all about? So we must have an understanding of the principles that are laid out within the Word of God. Okay, number three. And we're still on the content, right? The first division. Number three, you still with me, people? All right. Number three, it was not only a studying church, but it was also a fellowshipping church. And I love fellowship. Woo! Like that song, Fellowship Divine. I like that fellowship with Jesus. Jesus is a fellowshipping God. If we're God's people, we will be fellowshipping people. Jesus is a fellowshipping God. Where did he create man? Where did he create you? And me. For what? So he could have fellowship. So he could have fellowship. Then when he went to man, he says, it's no good for man to be alone. That will make him a help me for him. Then he created woman. And that's when the problems came. Oh, no, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I'm only kidding, ladies. All right. I'm only kidding. So fellowship. See, fellowshipping God is a God of fellowship, and when you have God in you, then you also are a fellowship person. And the church, the early church, was a fellowshipping church. Now I want you to notice what it, said, what it says over here. In fact, let's look at, at verse 42. You notice it says, and they continue standfast in the apostles' what? Okay, and in what? Fellowship and in breaking of bread. And then let's go a little bit ahead of ourselves and let's get down over here in verse 46. Listen to what it says. In verse 46 it says, And they continued, not once a week, was it, does it say once a week? And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart and singleness of mind. Right? It was a fellowshipping church. And I want to tell you this, that this is why even the name of the church is Ecclesia. Or in Spanish it's close to Iglesia, right? Ecclesia. You know what the word Ecclesia means? The word Ecclesia means a called out one, or the called out one, or the assembly of the believers. The ecclesia is the assembly of the believers. As we gather together and we assemble together, we constitute the church. We've been called out of darkness, called out of a life of sin, so that we can assemble together and have something in common and glorify and worship His holy name. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Not forsake the assembling of, of yourselves together, of ourselves together. Do not forsake the fellowshipping. Do not forsake the assembling of the believers and of the Christians. So you know what actually happens when you just come to church, and there's some people that come to church, whenever we come to church, and if we don't get involved, if we don't get, you see, you, we could, there's some people, you know what happens with some people? 
the problem with some people is, is that they, they think they're part of the church and part of, of, of the body, but they, they may be saved, but they're not in fellowship. They're not fellowshipping. And, and they just slide in and do what? And slide right out. I mean, they don't, they don't, they don't make any, they don't, they don't make any contribution whatsoever. They're even a notice. There's some of you that are coming. You're, you come and, and you say, "This is." Well, they ask you, "What church you go?" I, well, I go to Victory Outreach. Do you know anybody in Victory Outreach? No. I don't even know the pastor, man. I even, I even forget the pastor's name sometimes. Do, do you get involved in the ministry? Are you involved in anything? No, no, I just go on Sunday morning. Then there's other... That's not what the Bible's told. That's disobedience. See, fellowshipping is being able to not only break bread together, but saying, I want to bless you and you could bless me. And the distribution of gifts that God has given to the church, there's a blessing one another, a ministering to one another that has taken place within the body body ministry that has taken place see and then there's some people that actually say well I some, you ever see some people turn off the church I don't believe in the church I believe in God but I don't believe in the church and then they say my church is my sanctuary at home or my church is the big tube I watch channel 40 and that's my church You know that that's anti-biblical? That's anti-biblical. The Bible tells us, forsake not the assemblings of yourself. You're not to forsake that. God wants the church to be a fellowshipping church that you could bind yourself together and begin to feel each other's pain and each other's burden and rejoice in each other's blessings. This is what God wants. And whenever we don't fulfill that, then we're being disobedient to God. If somehow you haven't plugged into the life of this church and God called you to come here, you're being disobedient to God. This morning you're disobedient to God because you have not come into the flow of what God is doing within this congregation and within this church. You're not in the fellowship, the fellowship of this church. Okay? So disobedience. So they were a fellowshipping church. And you know what they did? It says over here that they broke bread. Doesn't it say that? It says fellowshipping and in breaking of bread. That's why it's good to have a fellowship room. <laughs> After the sermon, you go break bread over there in the fellowship room. First thing I, I said when, I, when we came over here, I said, we need a fellowship room. So that's where you get fed spiritually. And then you go over there and break some bread. And you know, Brother Sandy likes to break some bread. <laughs> but not only breaking bread in, in, in that fashion, but also when it talks about even breaking bread, it also talks about communion. They used to have, you see what they used to have in those days? And everything they had, they had what they call a common meal or a love feast before communion. They would get together, have a big love feast, 
Everybody bring food, they have a big love feast, a common meal, and then after that, they would, they would also, after they broke bread, then they also get into the communion. They have communion together. Fellowshipping with God and also fellowshipping with one another. You see? So it was, the early church was a fellowshipping church. And I ask you this morning, are you plugged in? Some of you didn't say amen. And if you're not plugged in, then really you need to be plugged in. And then number four, and we're going to be finishing our first section, and the rest of them move quickly. So number four, what was the other quality? Could you tell me? Oh, okay. It says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowshipping, breaking of bread, and what else? And in prayer. Now, when we say prayer, you notice what I said? They were steadfast. Steadfast in prayer. There was a, a, a continuity. There, there, there was a, a continuation of their experience with Christ. There was a stability about them, a consistency in their experience in prayer. It wasn't just once in a while, but there was a consistency that they prayed. It was a praying church. And how many churches do we find of praying churches? Now, I know that some people say also, well, I have my private prayers. I pray, I pray in my prayer closet. And some people get real mystical. They say, well, Brother Sonny, I go into my sanctuary at home and I pray. But you never see them pray in the church. Now, the Bible here is talking about, it's not only talking about the personal uh, private prayer. I'm sure they had their private prayer. But also you find in the book of Acts that they prayed collectively. They came, they even called the church the house of prayer. They came at certain hours to gather together and to pray as a, as a body, as, as, as God's people collectively praying together. There's something that happens, the supernatural begins to take place when a church is able to gather together, together and collectively in unity and begin to pray. And this is why this church was a powerful church is because it was a praying church. Now, in the studying, we've tried to provide that here. We have a school of ministry. In this, if you don't take advantage of it, it's not because we don't have it. We have a school of ministry. We have, even on Sundays, we have classes, and we even want more classes in the Christian education ministry that we have. And then not only do we have the teaching taking place here Sunday morning, what am I doing right now? I'm giving you the Word of God, and the reason why I'm giving you the Word of God is because the Word of God is what's going to bring growth within your life. Not funny stories and entertaining you, but the Word of God. But also prayer. And one of the things about us is that even our Friday night service is prayer. And man, it's beautiful when you see hundreds of people gathering together for prayer. Now, sad to say, the reason why we don't see the revival that we would like to see is because you have churches you call a prayer meeting and only about three, four people show up. But how beautiful it is when a church is able to gather together in unity and rally God's people. I can imagine out of the 3,120 people, 
and they're accurate because they kept roll. Those people, I could imagine, it wasn't a, a small percentage, but it was the 3,120 that came out to the prayer meetings to pray collectively and get a hold of God. Okay. Now that's a powerful church, a powerful people. You begin to pray like that, you become a powerful person. You become a Holy Ghost person. And the church becomes a Holy Ghost church because it is a praying church. And on Fridays, let me share the vision I have on Fridays. I like to see this coming year on Fridays, I like to see this place packed out for prayer. For prayer. Oh, glory to God. Imagine uh, hundreds of people coming out and you're coming. Where are you going? I'm going to the prayer meeting. How many people are at the prayer meeting? Oh, we have about a thousand that come to the prayer meeting. You know what people will tell you? You got a thousand people go to your prayer meeting? Wow, that's heavy, right? Because most churches, you call a prayer meeting, nobody comes. You call entertainment, everybody comes. See? But this church was a praying church. Powerful church, a church that was totally dedicated to prayer. That's what I want our church to be. I like to see, and we got some prayer work. We got, we got prayer on every morning. We have prayer here that you could come and pray. From 10 o'clock on, there's people that are praying and seeking the presence of God. Uh, once a month, we have shut-in that on Monday, everybody could come and pray. And then we also have every other month, I believe it is, that we have a week of prayer. Okay. And still, that's not enough. We need to get in there on Friday nights and really storm the gates of heaven for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon ourselves and upon our land. So prayer. It was a praying church. It was a praying people. Do we pray? Do you pray? How much do you pray? You just go get up, go to work, and go take care of me now. I'm going to go over there. Because, you know, okay, thank you. I don't think they did. You know what these people did? When they came, whoo, they came and there was a travailing. Oh, Jesus. You know, a travailing for hours after hours just praying. Now, a lot of these countries, let me just drop this in. A lot of the countries that were, they're experiencing tremendous revivals. If you study it and you find out what's the cause of the tremendous revival that is breaking out in some of these countries, you will find out that there's a, a, a tremendous thrust of prayer that has taken place. See? When God's people pray, revival comes. The miraculous comes. Healings take place. God moves. It releases the hand of God when people pray. This is what happened in the upper room. They were in prayer and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost came upon them. He went out and preached his first message and 3,000 souls get saved. Later on, you'll find out in the book of Acts, 5,000 souls got saved after that. See? So prayer. They were a praying church. And in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, it says, Jesus promised this. And I'm sure they remember the promises of Jesus. In John chapter 14, you don't have to turn to it, but let me just read it. Thir verses 13 and 14. Let me just, just, just quote a portion of it. Jesus promised and he said, 
He said to them, if you ask anything in my name, I will what? I will do it. I'll give it unto you. I will do it. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. And these people took Jesus at his word. The problem is, is that we don't take Jesus at his word. And we can see things happen if we get together collectively and pray. As we begin to do that, we'll be, see, we'll be able to see great and mighty things that God desires to do. Okay, secondly, so we, we dealt with the content. Secondly, what is the second point? Say it with me, the right, right what? The right character. Okay, let's take a look at the right character, the character of this church. Well, first of all, it tells us in verse 43, you notice that word it says, and what? And fear came upon every soul. You know what kind of church it was? It was an awesome church. You hear people say that? Man, that's awesome. Well, this is the type of church it was. It was an awesome group of people. It was an awesome church. Now, the word fear that we find here in the Word of God is the word that we find throughout the New Testament. And the word fear, what it really actually means, it doesn't mean that they were horrified. It doesn't mean that they were spooked out. What it actually means, the word fear means that there was a sense of reverence because of the Holy Spirit and because of the power and because of the presence of Jesus Christ. Whenever the presence of Jesus Christ is evident in a place, the genuine, not mustered up, but the genuine presence of Jesus Christ, there's a sense of awe, there's a sense of reverence, because we recognize we're in the presence of Jesus. You hear that? And you know what will happen? The people, they had fear. Fear came upon them. Because they said, this is some real stuff. Just like some people that have come to our conferences and we talk about commitment and taking the whole world for Jesus, people get shook up and they say, man, I'm full of fear. And, and the reason why is because they see the seriousness. They say, I recognize the seriousness of what I'm involved. I recognize and I sense the presence of God. And wherever the presence of God is, there is reverence. You can't help but feel. Just like with uh, what happened with Moses, he said, take off your shoes. Did he say that? Take off those shoes. You're on holy ground. There was fear in, in Moses. There was an awesome feeling that I'm in the presence of God. The omnipotent presence of God. The holiness presence of God. How beautiful it is that people could come in and that's what happened to the people they, they go and as soon as they went over there they said man this is serious stuff this is serious Holy Ghost uh, happening that has taken place that's why that kind of looseness in the church when you come to church you don't come to go up uh, get, go, get up and go out and come in and go out and be chewing your gum and be looking at this and talking and, you know, 
I see sometimes people just talking away, and, and we're over here praising God. Sometimes I feel like I say, hey, shut up. Holy boldness. Shut up. Don't you realize you're in the presence of God? Well, that's what happened to Peter. God told him to shut up. You're up in the Mount of Transfiguration, and all of a sudden God is, you know, he's over there in God's presence. And Peter looking and said, wow, man, John, look at this thing. Wow, man, let's build three tabernacles, man. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not even knowing what he said, the Bible says. And then God said, hey, this is my beloved son. Hear him, hear ye him. In other words, Peter, shut up. You're on holy ground. That's what you call awesome presence where you could sense and feel the presence of God. And this is something that they had. That they understood, they were aware that the supernatural is actually taking place. The supernatural is actually taking place. And it is it, something supernatural that can't even be explained. Okay? Then it also, if you want to turn later on in your Bibles, but also in Luke chapter 7, you don't have to turn to it now, in verse 11, it talks about when they raised the dead, and it says, and, they came, and there came a fear in all, and they glorified God. In raising the dead in that portion, they got, it says a fear came upon them, and then they started glorifying God because they recognized that they were in the presence of omnipotence, in the presence of divinity. Okay? So it was, first of all, an awesome church. The fear came upon them. Number two, it was a miraculous church. Listen to what it says. And fear, in verse 43, fear came upon every soul. You what? Read it with me. And many wonders, and what else? And signs were done by the apostles. Okay. Now, what are the, remember I mentioned about the wonders and the signs and the miracles? The miracles, then the signs. The miracles are a sign, and what does a sign do? It points you to what? What does a sign do? Give you direction, right? So the sign is, is just pointing to someone else or someplace else. So all the miracles and the wonders in, in these signs were signs that were pointing to Jesus. That God was in their midst. So it says, fear came upon everyone. Many wonders and signs were done by the hands of the apostles. Now, just to illustrate that, I think we have a good illustration. If you just look down, let's just go a little bit ahead of ourselves. And let's look at, right there, right in your Bible, chapter 3. Look what, look what was happening in that church. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. You see it? Okay, listen to what it says. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Notice that? What, what was it? An hour of what? What does it say? Hour of what? Okay. Hour of prayer. Being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And then it says, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an arm, or they were asking for money, this, this man. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. 
and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. I'm a poor preacher. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Woo! And what happened? Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with him into the temple, walking and leaping and what? And praising God. You can imagine the power that these guys had, the power of that church. It was a miraculous church that Peter was going to pray. He wasn't coming out of prayer. Usually you would think that he's coming out of prayer. He's all saturated with God's power. He's going to go to prayer. And even before he goes to prayers, get up out of there, silver and gold have I none for such as I have I give unto thee. Now this guy must have been, he was there for years. For years. And always asking for money. And he had his little spot near the temple, always asking for money. But all of a sudden he didn't, rec- he didn't realize that that day he was going to receive something special. Silver and gold have I none for such as I have. What is it that they had? They had the power of God. What does the power of God produce? The miraculous. It was a miraculous church. And then just to add to that, I want you to just turn to chapter 5. Look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5. This this is exciting. Look at at chapter 5 in verse 12. 12 and 15. Listen to what it says. You have it? When you have it, say amen. Okay, it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now, in, in verse 15, insomuch that they brought forth, listen to what it says, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by may overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and listen, read this part with me, the last part, and they were healed, every one. Woo, you talk about power. Not just a few, not two or three, but every one of them were healed. You talk about just a shadow of Peter passing by, just a shadow. They brought their couches out and said, man, these people have power. That church has power. And just a shadow of Peter, man, these people were getting up and being healed. And the, the, the miraculous was actually taking place. Now you say, is that only for those days? What does Jesus, the Bible say about Jesus? Jesus Christ is the what? Say the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are serving this resurrected Jesus that they were serving. And because of this resurrected Jesus that, that we're serving, we're able to also experience the manifestation of the miraculous. And you know, I look in our church and I say, praise God. I'll tell you, we have a lot of miracles in our church. There's a lot of miracles here. You're a, you're a miracle. 
You want to see a miracle? Look in the mirror and look at yourself. You're a miracle. I'm a miracle. We're all miracles, you see. But yet God wants to do even more. God wants to do more. And as we begin to just pray, they were praying because they were praying. There was something that was happening. that They had these qualities and it was the power of God that was being manifested and it was producing miracles. And there are people that come every Sunday, the people that come to our church that need nothing short of a miracle. Now beautiful it is to be able to come to a church where the miracle working power of Jesus is being released. And if we have these qualities, we will be able to experience that. And then number three, they were also a, a sharing church, a giving church. Verse 44 and 45 says, what does it say? Follow with me. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men at every, that every, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So what they actually did is that they were also a giving church. Now I want you to understand this, that God's people should always be a giving people. Now, some people, some people have promoted communism because of this verse. You know that? Or communal commun living. And they say, well, communism is in the Bible. Look what they did. They, they sold everything they had and they, depart, and they parted to each one uh, individually and they all had everything in common. Well, the reason why we find this in the Bible is not because it was communism. The reason why we find it is because you've got to remember the problem that the, 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 the apostles had on their hands. The first service that they had, 3,000 people got saved. And these 3,000 people were from out of town and from different places. Some of them have come from far. And now they said, we're not going back home. We want to stay here and receive more of the word of God. And then later as he was preaching... 5,000 got saved. And then those 5,000 said, yes, we are staying too. So there was a tremendous multitude of people that accepted Christ that had needs that needed to be met and needed to be taken care of. So the Christians started taking them into their house and they started sharing. And if somebody had a need, then somebody would sell something to meet that particular need. They were unselfish people. It was an unselfish church. And that's just like Jesus. See, any church that is a Holy Ghost church is a giving church. And you know how sometimes we can tell whether a church is spiritual? By how much comes in the offering. A spiritual church, people not only give of their body, but they give of their finances because their finances are committed to Jesus. There's a generosity that comes from God because God is a generous God. Whenever you're serving God, whenever you commit your life to God, there's a generosity that only God is able to give. So they were a giving people. They were sharing people what they had. They shared. They gave. There was a, a, a giving type of atmosphere within that church. And any church that is full of the Holy Ghost should be a giving church. And then also, with this we finish the second one. We're going to be finishing the message number four. It was also not only a giving church, but in verse 46 it says, it brings out it was a joyful church, 
And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They eat their meat with what? You notice what it says? Are you glad this morning or are you miserable this morning? In the temple they came, they were glad to be in the house of God. Some people are not glad to be in the house of God. But they were glad to be in the house of God. And it says, with gladness, singleness of heart, and in verse 47, praising God. There was a gladness inside of them. There was joy, joy within their hearts. Joy does not come from material things. You could have material things and still be miserable. Joy does not come from finances. Joy does not come from all these things. Joy comes from a genuine experience with God. That's why the song says, if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. It is Jesus. He says that they may have joy and that their joy may be full. I'm telling you, have you experienced that joy that the Bible speaks about? I'll tell you, it's a joy that money cannot purchase. So it was a joyful church, it was a happy church, singleness of heart, praising God, and joy comes from unity. And then the last point that we're bringing, not only the character, but what is the last one? The right what? Results or the right consequences right okay verse 47 that's the last verse yeah, boy, I'm on time look at that I'm really doing good see I'm getting more discipline in that praise God verse 47 what does it say praising God and having what and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Okay, there's two things that we find here. They had favor with all people. In other words, they were an attractive church. Attractive church. People came and they, they, they just said, man, it's, they're beautiful. You ever go to a church like that? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. But have you ever visited a church and you said, man, it's beautiful. These people are beautiful. I've been to churches where I said, man, you know, look at them. These people are baptized in lemon juice. I can't get away to get out of here. Man, these people are, people are not even worshiping God. And then I've gone to places that, man, as soon as you walk in, God bless you, brother. Oh, praise the Lord. God bless you. And you walk in and you sit down. And as soon as you sit down, they're praising God. And I look at all the people and I say, aren't these people beautiful? All oh, these people. What a beautiful, beautiful church. And the beauty of it, the attraction the attractiveness of it it's not so much the, the human part but it's the divine part it is the Holy Spirit and the presence and the saturation of the Holy Spirit upon their lives See, whenever you let the Holy Spirit take over your life it brings beauty for ashes there's a beauty about having Jesus Christ within your life and having him take over so it's a very attractive church and people are attracted to it. See, an attractive church will attract people. And that's the last point we're bringing out. They were growing. It was a growing church. Listen to what it says. 
And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You hear that? So it was a growing church because it was an attractive church. And because it was an attractive church, it attracted a whole lot of people to come. And they also found Christ. Now you see how natural the evangelistic process was? See, sometimes we're trying to pump it up. And, and, it's, and we're looking for converts, and it's man, you know, they're, they're, they're man-made converts. Man-made converts do not last. You find in the church, the most important thing that the church had in the very beginning, okay, Peter preached the message as soon as they had the first fellowship, there was a quality they developed a quality within the assembly. There was a beautiful quality within the church. And because of all the qualities and all these things that we brought out this morning, this character, characteristic of that church, automatically it was a natural flow that people were attracted to it and there was evangelism that was flowing out of the church because of the quality of the church. What good is it to go out and bring people and bring them to a dead church? Bring them to a disorganized church. A church full of disunity. What good is it? Better leave them out there. You bring them back. You bring them in and you kill them anyhow. We kill them. So what we need, this church is a powerful church because of the qualities the quality that it had. Okay? So, and, and, and just giving a review, what kind of quality, what is it, what kind of people do we need to be? Okay, first of all, we need to have the right content. And then the right content is, first of all, salvation, number one. Number two, we should be a studying people. Number three, we should be a fellowshipping people. Number four, we should be a praying people. Secondly, we should have the right character. When we have that, it's uh, a process. If we have the right content, automatically we develop the right character. You hear that? Automatically it will happen. So what is the kind of character that we need in our lives as a, as a people? We need to have the fear of God. Secondly, we need to operate in the miraculous. Thirdly, we need to be a giving and a sharing people. And fourthly, that will produce joy inside of us. And we should be a happy, joyful people because of our experience and our connection with Christ. And then last of all, thirdly, the proper results or consequences. What are they? We will attract people. We will be attractive. Even though physically we may be ugly. You ever see ugly people that are attractive? You know, physically ugly people. Yeah, Brother Ruben over there. No, I'm, I'm only kidding around. Now. But yet there's a, there's a, a, a beauty about them. Huh? See, beauty is from the inside. The beauty that Christ gives is from the inside. 
And people are always attracted to the beauty of Jesus Christ. See? Are we beautiful people? Are you a beautiful person? When people look at you, are you beautiful because of Christ? See? That's what they had. That's the type of people they were. And then also they were growing. It was a growing church and it was a growing people. Are you growing? I hope you are. Because Christ, God, wants you to grow. And I, praise, I, I, I pray to God that we will be able to grow not only in, in numbers, in quantity, not only in, in quantity, but how should we grow in what? In qual what? In quality. That's what we mean. And I want you to stand with me this morning. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brother Joe, come on quickly over here. Raise your hands right now. Just raise your hands. Glory to God. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.